This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Maybe you were in class and someone pointed out a spot on your jeans when you stood up. Or one morning you woke up to blood in your bed and got a little spooked. Menstruating can be a pivotal part of life. It certainly is in Judy Bloom's 1970 novel, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. The story follows an 11-year-old Margaret stepping into the world of adolescence, breasts, boys, and periods included. You're going to have to do the same exercise and technique I do. There's an exercise? Of course there is. You hold your arms out like this and you say, I must, I must, I must increase my bust. I must, I must, I must increase my bust. Does that really work? I'm living proof. Now come on, get up, get up, get up, get up. You'll see, get up. I must, I must, I must increase my bust. I must, I must increase my bust. Chin up, we must, we must, we must increase our bust. We must, we must, we must increase our bust. Okay, did I do the exercise after reading the book? Perhaps, perhaps not. Well, that story is on the big screen now, and we'll discuss it for this month's edition of the 1A Movie Club. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Do you wish stories could unfold over three hours rather than three minutes? You tired of doom scrolling? Trying to find humanity? Or maybe a deeper understanding? of why the world is the way it is? Listen to Embedded, NPR's original documentary series. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into the conversation. Joining us is Kelly Freeman Craig. She's the screenwriter and director of the new movie, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, based on the Judy Bloom novel. Kelly, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, we heard from a lot of our listeners about how important this book was to them when they were growing up. It's a lot of pressure to adapt a classic book. Why did you decide to do it? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I just, I love the book with with all my heart and Judy Bloom as well. I, I found this book when I was 11 and um, it just so honestly captured all of the feelings at that age. And, um, and at the time, it was really reassuring to know I wasn't the only one feeling and thinking all the things I was. Now, Judy Bloom turned down many, many offers to adapt the book. How did you, how did you get it? You know, um, I, after I reread it as an adult, I, I just, I was knocked flat by it all over again. I, you know, I, I related to Margaret, but I also related to the mom and the grandma. And it, it just, it struck me so hard that I had to reach out to her. So I, I wrote her 
an email that really amounted to a love letter um, about uh, how much her work meant to me and why I thought this would make such a, a beautiful and affecting movie. What were the most challenging parts of trying to translate the book to screen? Well, I think one of the magic tricks of of Judy Bloom's novel is that it feels so timeless. I mean, any decade you read it, it 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 reads as contemporary. I read it for the first time in 1990 and had no idea that it was written 20 years prior in 1970. So, so one of the big challenges was how to really um, get that feeling of timelessness. Uh, you know, in the film version, um, you know, when you read a book, you can project your own images on it. But but in a film, we have to choose our setting. Um, so a lot of it was about figuring out how to create a look that had this sort of universal nostalgia that was both of the time, 1970, when the book takes place, but also timeless. When I first heard there was a uh film adaptation coming, I wondered if it was if you were going to update it, if you were going to place it in, in more current times. But you decided to keep the film in 1970. Why was that important? Well, first of all, uh, it was important to me to do a really faithful adaptation because of how much I love this book. But the other reason was, I think there is something really reassuring about going to the movie theater today as a, as a 12-year-old girl. And realizing that girls 50 years ago went through the exact same thing that you're going through now. Everybody, your mom, your grandma, all women throughout history have gone through this thing. Um, and also it's really, uh, you know, it's it's a movie that, um, that women all ages um, go to see and see themselves reflected in it. Well, that leads us to this email we got from Denise who says, I saw the film Friday afternoon with my high school bestie and another friend of two decades. We're all mid-50s girls who grew up reading Judy Bloom. And in fact, as soon as I first heard a film was in the works, I went back and reread it immediately. I loved this movie. And you talk about the sort of t- the timelessness of this story. And there were just a couple of moments in the film when I was sent back to my own childhood and I was like, I don't think this, it would be the same story today. Um, One moment is when Margaret's parents put her on a bus from New Jersey to New York to go see her parents. And they're, you know, hey, when you get there, don't sit next to anybody who's sketchy. And, you know, the bus driver, please look out for our daughter. And And I realized there was a certain type of independence that happened before cell phones, where she just gets on this bus and as far as her parents are concerned, she disappears for however long it takes for her to get to her grandmother. Or when they're away at summer camp and there's no texting back home to say you're lonely, you can write a letter, but who knows when it's going to get back to the house. So I wonder if there's very there's something specific about the type of independence that kids had access to at this stage of life that is specific to this era. Ah, I think that's a I think that's a good question. Yeah, I, I do think there's probably a bit more of that. There's both there's both more um more independence and also in some ways more innocence, you know, there's sort of both. Um but it was interesting uh before I sat down to to write the script and make the film, I spent a bunch of time interviewing 11 and 12-year-old girls because I really wanted to understand what has changed, if anything? And, you know, what was amazing is actually how little has changed. Mm. I mean, it's like some the details have, 
but the feelings are really the same. That's what struck me coming out of those interviews. What elements did you know needed to stay in the movie so you could maintain the authenticity of the story? Well, there were certain things that I knew we absolutely had to get right for fans of the book. Like, for instance, the I must, I must, I must increase my bust. Um, that was <laughs> that was something that, you know, you can't get wrong. Um, and actually, when I was filming it, I, uh, you know, I set up the camera and the, and the girls were rehearsing it. And it was the one time Judy Bloom shot out of her seat. She was there on set and, and came up and said, that's not how you do it. <laughs> the exercise. <laughs> and I, yes. And I realized that I had been doing the exercise wrong all of my life. <laughs> um, so anyway, so she gave a tutorial to, uh, to, to all the girls on set and showed us all the, the correct official way to do I must increase my bust. Um, so yeah, so, so thankfully she was there that day um, to help us get that, that iconic moment. Well, by taking on this project, you take on depicting the experience of menstruating too. And even now, just talking about periods is, is something of a taboo. How did you decide how you were going to address specifically what it means to get your period? Yeah, well, first of all, First of all, it just struck me that it's it's really strange that we still feel weird uh, talking about something that half the population goes through, and I and I felt it in myself even when I when I took on the book and was adapting it, I felt sort of a little embarrassed to saying the word out loud, and I was like, I'm I'm an adult woman. What is wrong with me? This is this is nuts. But I think that. I think it is something that we sort of like tiptoe around. And part of the part of the thrill of making the movie was just it was just putting it all out there and doing it in a way that is funny and is real um and sort of lets everybody know we all do this and it's normal and it's fine and it's it's not weird, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um yeah, that was exciting. I, I wanna just talk about the cast a bit, especially the kids in this movie. Uh, Margaret Simon is played by Abby Ryder Fortson. Nancy Wheeler is played by Elle Graham. Janie Loomis is played by Amari Alexis Price. And Gretchen Potter is played by Catherine Kupfer. And they are just phenomenal. How did you find the right actors for these roles? Oh God, I am just so proud of these kids. I think they are just wonderful. Um, well, the search for the search for Margaret, of course, was a massive search where we saw just hundreds, if not thousands, of girls. Um, and and it was a no, you know, hundreds of times until Abby walked through the door, and then it was there she is. That's Margaret. And it really, it was, you know, she has such a soulfulness and a vulnerability and she's so funny. I mean, she, she makes me cry, but she makes me laugh just as hard. Um, and then also these other kids who I think are just wonderful. Um, they're regular kids, you know, they're from all over. So the, you know, they're really, a lot of them, this is the very first thing they've ever done. And, um, you know, and a lot of what I did on set was um, really just let them improvise and be as they are. Uh, There's one in in particular scene where they look at uh, an anatomy book, male parts in an anatomy (laughs) book. And in that scene, I really, I just 
opened the book, set up the camera, and said, say whatever comes to your mind. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's funny. It is very funny. Well, that's Kelly Freeman Craig. She's the screenwriter and director of the new movie, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, based on the Judy Bloom novel. Kelly, it was such a wonderful movie. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Coming up, more about the movie and how we talk about menstruation. Jim emailed us, I read this book as a teenage boy, and I think it made me a better man who was more understanding and empathetic to the women in my life. We'll be back with more of our discussion about the movie adaptation of Judy Bloom's Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret, in just a moment. Stay with us. In any great story, there's a moment that sparks your curiosity and tells you there is more to uncover. How, how did this happen? How did we get here? That's where Embedded comes in. We are NPR's home for documentary journalism, immersive and intimate stories. I was stone-cold speechless. Nothing will ever, 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 ever be the same here. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Big news stories don't always break on your schedule. But with the NPR app, news, culture, and podcasts are ready when you want them. In your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Drake and Kendrick Lamar have been lobbing some serious accusations at each other. You've probably heard the diss tracks and wondered, what's just a low blow and what's actually criminal? I'm Brittany Luce, host of It's Been a Minute from NPR, and I'm getting into what's art and what's worthy of criminal investigation and who those accusations hurt the most on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Let's get back to our discussion by adding a few more voices. Joining us now is Lovia Jace. She's an arts and culture critic at The Hollywood Reporter. Lovia, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Also with us is Kelly Weston. She's a film critic and programmer. Kelly, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me as well. And Rachel Cowder Nailbuff. She's the author of Our Red Book, Intimate Histories of Periods, Growing and Changing. Rachel, welcome. Thanks for having me. Lovia, what relationship did you have with Judy Bloom when you were growing up? Uh, what, um, what a wonderful question. I mean, I read the book when I was 11 or 12, and it felt very scandalous. Um, I grew up in a very Christian household where conversations about menstruation and boys were tabled for later and later dates. And so I felt like Bloom's Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, Tiger Eyes, even the Super Fudge series were um, just incredible insights into my body, into um, boys and also just like all the weird feelings that come with growing up. You just sent me down memory lane. I'm, I just need to go into a YA section of a bookstore now and just revisit my adolescence. Kelly, what about for you? What relationship did you have? Did you do did Judy Bloom? So my mom was a middle school teacher um, and there were always books in the house and also always books in her classrooms. And so I quite, I vividly remember um, going into my mom's classroom probably when I was like very, very young, like, you know, eight or nine, because I think I read the book so early that I didn't really make that it made an impact on me because I remember the feeling of reading it, um, that anticipation about, you know, what I was on the precipice of. And I think just, you know, one of the most memorable things to me was it felt like, certainly in my head, it was the first time that I think I had encountered a text that was like, 
absolutely targeted toward me. I felt like very much, you know, um, fully uh, recognized in some way. And I think that was like, you know, one of the most, um, even though I, I think I, I don't remember the book or remember certain passages as vividly, I think that's the thing that I sort of really took away from it was that it was sort of always around. My mom always had it in her classroom. And I remember that feeling of of reading it most vividly. Now, Rachel, Our Red Book is a collection of, of stories from people about their first stories of menstruation. How did Margaret's story come up in the conversations you had? You know, it's funny because um, across generations for both parents and even teenagers today, so many people, and I've heard hundreds of stories, so many people really learned about periods and puberty through Judy Bloom's books and especially Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Um, the number of people who said, you know, the only reason that I was prepared at all was because I read Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret is, is staggering even today. Well, Judy Bloom has her own contribution in your book about her first period. What was interesting to you about her story? It's... Um, you know, <clears throat> it's it's um, it's a funny story, and you can kind of make the direct link between her experience and um, the book "Are You There, God?" Um, she talks about how she uh, her period came kind of late, and she wanted um, nothing more than to get her period when everyone else was getting it, which. Um, you can remember happens is a is a common feeling in the book across all the characters, but um, what's kind of interesting about her story, which is wonderfully written, um, is that she lied about getting her first period so that she could fit in. Um, and when she finally did get her first period, there was basically no one to tell and no one to celebrate with um, because she had to sort of pretend like it was uh, a regular event. And so um, we see that a little bit in, in, in Nancy Wheeler's story in the book. Um, but so much of that feeling, that desire of just wanting to be normal, I think, and feeling like you're too late mm-hmm. um, is, is shared across all the characters. Or you're too early. There's no, there's, there's no way of winning. <laughs> right, right. You know, I, I think back to my adolescence and I had older sisters, so I was very well prepared. I read Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And I remember thinking, why are they so excited about this? This is not something I'm looking forward to. But I also remember that tension of of being on the cusp of of feeling like I'm more grown up, right? And the and the and the tension that exists in that space of wanting to cling to childhood, but also knowing you can't you can't cling to it forever and things are going to change. Lovia, what do you think it is about the way Judy Bloom writes about this period in life that makes it so powerful for the reader? Yeah, I was just thinking about this, actually. And I think that there's a documentary that just came out. I feel like Judy Bloom's having a renaissance right yeah, now called Judy yeah. Bloom Forever. And she talks about her inspiration for writing her books. And she says, and this is not a direct quote, obviously, that as a child, she always felt like adults were keeping secrets from her and that they were never talking directly to her, but around her and around issues that she felt were of great import to her, right? Um, and I think that the beauty of 
a book like Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, and now the film, is that it feels like it's speaking directly to children and to young adults. And it's not condescending. It's not patronizing. Um, it's really saying quite honestly and with a lot of clarity, like, this is what you're going through. It's completely normal. It won't look the same as everyone else, but there's nothing to be ashamed of. We got this email from Lynette, who says, I attended an ultra-conservative evangelical church-based middle school in the late 70s. Judy Bloom was a strictly banned author. Nonetheless, many of us brought in paperback copies and passed them around during class. The teachers immediately confiscated our books. New copies would then emerge the next day. Which, you know, in in reading, this isn't the first person I've heard from who say, oh yeah, this book was was banned or it was considered kind of racy to have it. And I reflect on that dynamic today, and I think this is the most innocent story. I mean, Kelly, what do you make of of that tension that, at least in the 70s, it was considered to be on the, the cutting edge, you know, of YA writing? And I think for some people today, maybe it still is. I mean, I think it's interesting because like uh, the director, Kelly, was saying, you know, there's absolutely still well into adulthood this kind of fraught relationship with your body as a woman or as a person who menstruates where it feels almost as as if it is kind of covert. I mean, I was thinking about this quote from Judy Bloom that Lovia just said. I mean, it it really felt very real to me, (laughs) this idea that, first of all, as a child, yeah, adults really do sort of keep this very it feels very covert and it does feel like there's such a, a like hushed um, almost culture around the nature of a period. And that also plays out, I think, really brilliantly in the film as well, where the girls are so, you know, feverishly excited to get their period, but they actually don't really know what it is. Right. <laughs> no <laughs> real, you know, experience. And so when it happens, they're all shocked and surprised and um, each experience, there's a, they're kind of pair, these two mirror scenes of the girls getting their periods in a bathroom and their mothers just having this real, you know, almost, <laughs> uh, their, 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 uh, faces and reactions as well is, is, is so vastly different, but also, you know, really, I think quite emotional. Right. And so that, that's such an interesting tension to me that it is this thing that half the population goes through and experiences. And it's this thing that is also innately connects mothers and their daughters and children. Um, but it is so, it, it, it is almost like, you know, it's a, it's this thing that you, you can't really speak about freely. And I do think, you know, there things don't seem to have changed as much, unfortunately, from the 70s. I mean, like we're seeing now, like various books being banned that are simply, you know, sort of conveying very um, banal and, and really quite wide experiences about um human nature and, and, and lived experience. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, another thing that was happening when I first discovered the book too, was that I, I had heard that it was a banned book. And I think as a kid, that's the best way to get a child <laughs> to read something is to say that it's banned. And so I, I mean, <laughs> maybe this era of banning books is actually good. 
We are talking about Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret, the book and the movie. Jenny emailed us. I saw the movie this weekend with my mother and my 12-year-old daughter. It was delightful, and I'm so proud of the movie. And Shannon emailed us about the emotional experience of menstruating. My mom was a nurse, and she was good about telling me about the nuts and bolts of starting my period. But we were not a family that talked about our feelings, so I was wholly unprepared for the kaleidoscope of emotions that overcame me when I started my period. This book reassured me that I was okay. We heard from many of you about going through puberty and and the anticipation of wearing a bra. Here's what Michelle told us. The one thing that I remember about adolescence is I was flat-chested until I was probably close to 14, 15 years old. But my grandmother took me bra shopping when I really didn't need it. After about the third or fourth brawl that I tried on that obviously I didn't need yet, I started crying and she said, Michelle, don't be upset. It's okay. I said, I'm not mad at you, nanny. I'm mad at God. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle, thanks for that message. Kelly, there's a scene in the movie that's very similar to what Michelle describes. And, you know, when we're in this period of life, our body is just, Lord, it's changing all over the place. How well do you think the movie does at at showing that experience? I mean, brilliantly. This was a moment. I mean, it's such a, it's so funny because Lovie and I were actually sat next to each other while this was happening. And she can attest to the fact that I was crying throughout (laughs) most of (laughs) it. Happy tears or like, or or flashback, like, oh, this is, this is bringing, this is triggering. It's so triggering because I was, I was definitely a late bloomer. I think I got my period at a very typical age, but much later than my cousins and my younger cousin, you know, this is the most horrible thing that can happen to a child is that somebody younger than you starts developing faster than you. And I was like, oh my God, like what's happening? (laughs) But I think that part is so beautifully done and, and it's almost, you know, there, I can think of, of, you know, um, a way that this film could have been made in which we are laughing at these girls in a way that's very patronizing and condescending, but it's so gracious to them. It's so loving. Um, and I think so much of that is obviously, you know, um, obviously uh, like due to, to Kelly's uh, wonderful direction. Um, and she's made films like this before. Um, but, I, you know, I also think like the performances from Rachel McAdams and the kid, Abby, are just so good. They're and Rachel so- McAdams plays Margaret's mother, we should say. Right. Yes. Rachel McAdams plays her mother and Abby's, uh, I can't remember her entire name. Abby Ryder Forston. Right. She is Margaret and their performances are so real and, and feel so, I, I guess, lived in um, that it made, I don't know, that those sequences really um, came to life for me. And I really think activated a lot of obviously emotional duress. Mm. We got this email from Karen who says, as a black teen girl in the 70s, this book was not on my reading list, although I may now watch the movie. It feels like an overreach to describe this book as universal when it doesn't incorporate women of color. The themes are universal, perhaps, but the execution is not. Lovia, how did you see the the movie address maybe some of that issue? Because there are a couple of moments that stand out for, for me, but I want to hear from you on this. 
Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, as a black girl who did read the book and felt I that <laughs> Judy Bloom's um, novel was sort of contraband and did feel really connected to the experiences of Margaret, despite not being um, not even having the same experience. You know, Margaret is like a white suburban girl who, uh, well, she was from New York like me, but then she moves to the suburbs and that is really traumatic. And I totally understand that. Um, I think that the film does a really good job of tweaking and sort of universalizing the experience with Margaret's friend Janie, who's played by Amari Price, right? So Amari's a black girl. She lives in the neighborhood. Um, I think that the way that Margaret comes to religion is also diversified in a really interesting mm -hmm. way. Like Margaret goes to um, a Baptist service with Janie and her family. Um, Janie's part of the group. You know, she's doing the I, I must, I must increase my bus. Um, chant with the girls and so I think that was like a really subtle way of you know keeping the book realistic I mean it's set in the 70s right but also keeping the film realistic because it's set in the 70s but also um making acknowledging that it was probably not the most diverse text of the time we're talking about the book and movie adaptation of are you there god it's me Margaret we'll be back with more from you and our guests in just a moment The Embedded Podcast brings you eye-opening reporting. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Immersive journalism. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Personal stories. I was scared. Like, I can't protect you. We are NPR's home for documentary storytelling. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Here at Planet Money, we bring complex economic ideas down to earth. We find weird, fun, interesting stories that explain the way money shapes our lives. Inflation, recessions, the price of gas, we've got you. Listen now to the Planet Money podcast from NPR. Every weekday, NPR's best political reporters come to you on the NPR Politics podcast to explain the big news coming out of Washington, the campaign trail, and beyond. We don't just want to tell you what happened. We tell you why it matters. Join the NPR Politics Podcast every single afternoon to understand the world through political eyes. Now let's get back to our discussion of the film, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, based on the novel by Judy Bloom. Well, Margaret and her friends aren't the only ones going through changes in the movie. Margaret's mother and grandmother also experienced some significant changes. Rachel, what do you think the film says about about change at every age. I especially loved the way that um, this is where the film took a couple liberties by really expanding the stories of the mother and um, grandmother character, though they're implied in the book. Um, it felt so true to the way that stories of how kind of a teen growing up um, has resonance for a parent and grandparent and reverberates across generations. Um, while the book is such an important experience for young people coming of age and there's so much like solidarity amongst teenage readers and it's so necessary for young readers, I felt like the film became a different kind of vehicle for really intergenerational dialogue by bringing um, the mother and grandmother's stories a little bit more to life um, and expanding them a little bit. It also highlighted for me how as young people we are not 
always aware of the inner lives of our of the the adults in in our lives and it was really fascinating to watch Margaret and her mom's experiences with uh, setting boundaries how they really mirror each other they both come to a place by the end of the movie where they're learning to say no to certain things Kelly did you did you pick up on that shared experience as well yeah I did and I I think that's really um incisive and, and thoughtful on, on part of the director to sort of expand their worlds because um, in some ways it becomes then a portrait of these three women girls at different ages and there are all three of them sort of in a period of transition. So the Kathy Bates character who plays Margaret's grandmother, you know, she is dealing with, you know, being toward the end of her life and her children have their own families and they've now moved away. And so she sort of has to figure out, you know, who is she uh, apart from, you know, her role as a grandparent, right? And I think that's something that the Rachel McAdams character is also sort of figuring out, you know, she's moving from being an art teacher to being a kind of stay-at-home mom. And she's struggling with it a little bit in ways that are, are really funny. <laughs> but I also think in some ways feel quite... Um, you know, but all, all, all of these uh, different um, periods of their lives, interestingly enough, allow them to connect to each other. So Rachel McAdams being a stay-at-home mom sort of generates for her, and Margaret generates for, for, for her, this moment of really wanting to reach out to her parents who she's kind of estranged from. And so I found that incredibly, um, you know, like just a, a really thoughtful um, and also deeply, deeply moving, right? You're right to say that kids never really know the inner lives of their parents. And I think it really does take being at a particular part of your life in order to sort of have that, um, shared experience. It, it can feel so remote to you until you get to that moment. So I thought the film really did that well. Lovia, how well does the movie depict that that consciousness, that, that switch that kind of flips on when all of a sudden you're noticing your body, but also the bodies of the people around you too? There's a cute scene when Margaret's outside talking to um, her friend's brother's friend, who she has a crush on, she's talking to her crush, and he sort of stretches his arm up, and she notices hair underneath his arm, and it's just like oh, he's got hairy armpits. But how well did the film go in depicting that? I think the film did a really good job, and I wanted to draw attention to something the director said earlier in the program um, about how she had interviewed eleven and twelve-year-olds about puberty and how the details have changed, but the feelings haven't. And I think that's the greatest success of this film, right? That it's able to capture the feelings of being on the cusp of puberty, but it's also saying that those feelings don't really change, right, across the generation. So, like, Rachel McAdams still has really big feelings about being a mother and the changes that she's going through. Kathy Bates' character also has those feelings. Um, I think the film does a really good job of capturing the emotional tension of both being aware of your body and being aware of the bodies of others. Um, one of my favorite scenes is when Nancy does get her period. You know, there's a scene where she, you know, sends a letter from DC being like, I got it. And then Margaret is devastated because now she's the only friend in the group who hasn't gotten her period. 
And then we see later the family, Nancy Wheeler's family takes a trip to New York and Nancy gets her period um, in the bathroom of a restaurant that they're eating at in the city. And the devastation on her face, right? I think it's a very subtle shift from the perspective of the girls to the perspective of the adults when um, Margaret calls Nancy's mom. And you see that like, even though puberty or like getting your period can be this really exciting thing because it makes you feel like an adult, it's still an unknown, right? It's still this bizarre experience where you don't know that much about it. And when you do get it, it's completely shattering. You're, I mean, Nancy's like terrified, <laughs> um, which I remember being when I got my period as well. So I think that there are subtle moments like that, um, that the film sort of teases out the tension between feeling both like really grown up and excited about the prospect of growing up, but actually devastated by the reality of getting older. Well, Rachel, we've mentioned the taboo around talking about periods. How eager were people to share their stories with you? Um, you know, there's no really one size fits all answer to that question. And I think, um, one of the things that really struck me from collecting oral histories of menstruation, which I've been doing for almost 20 years now, um, is that there's still a lot of shame and stigma, um, around it today. And it's so culturally specific. Um, but one thing that does feel different that, um, I think is possible today that, was not something I had witnessed um, when I was a teenager is it feels like we are on the cusp of being able to talk about periods across genders and we are able to recognize now that um, you know it's not only um, it's not only women who menstruate and that there's um, an entire gender spectrum um, and so those stories feel really important to include and there's a whole kind of diverse range of relationships um, and feelings that people have to periods from excitement to period dread. Um, and one of the people who called in, I was so glad to hear, um, was shared a story of being like a, a male sibling who bought supplies. And I think um, I've been hearing lots more stories like that lately of um, men that are being uh, brought into the conversation and have a sense of humor about it. <laughs> well, one of the other themes the movie touches on is is religion. Margaret's father is Jewish, her mother is Christian, but the two keep religion out of Margaret's upbringing to allow her to decide what she thinks about faith for herself. Lovia, how do you think the movie uses religion to also explore Margaret's identity? Uh, I love, I mean, this is one of my favorite parts about Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, the book, and now the film, which I see as a compliment to the book um, in, in a lot of ways. I think that, you know, at least for me growing up, um, I didn't feel like there were a lot of um, representations or evidence of people navigating the way that spirituality or religion, like what the roles that it plays in their life. Um, and I love the structure of Margaret trying to navigate this really lonely experience and finding herself talking to God, right? So like in the first scene of the film, she the first reason, the reason she starts talking to God is because she wants something which absolutely relatable and she's like please prevent this move from happening. Um and then it becomes almost like a diary, right? Like these prayers become a form of of journal keeping of her, for her like asking him questions but also thinking about um um Asking, asking him questions, asking him for things, and also just using it to process what's going on around her. Um, so I really loved and appreciated that. But I also loved and appreciated how the film um, shows Margaret just 
trying to explore different parts of um, her spirituality. So she goes to synagogue, she goes to a Baptist service, she goes to a Catholic service, she goes to a more evangelical service. Um, and I thought that was really well done as well, like um, to just show those as sort of um, montages in her life, right? Mm -hmm. So she's both having this individual experience with um, her spirituality and also trying to figure out how she wants to, if she wants to have that um, within a larger or broader community. I also think the film is largely, and the book as well, it's largely a story about belonging and, and trying to find your place. Um, Margaret is trying to find her place in this new community with new friends. Her mother is trying to find her place now that she's stepped away from her career and become a homemaker. And, you know, you want to be a part of, you want to be a part of a group. Um, we see what happens to those who are left left out of the group um, and, and some of the stories that are created about why someone is left out of the group. It, Kelly, I mean, when you think back to your adolescence, <laughs> how, how much does that resonate with your experience, that need or that desire to just feel like you fit somewhere? Well, I think it's so interesting to use uh, religion in this way because religion is so, I mean, part of the central function that it provides is community. Um, and it's also quite ethnic, right? So in many ways, um, Margaret's, I guess, lack of religion is also very indicative of her displacement, right? She's kind of in this liminal space between, you know, a mother who's Christian and a father who's Jewish and they don't practice anything. And so actually, like, there is this kind of, in the, especially in 1970s America, there has to be this almost gaping hole in the dimension of her life. You know, all of her uh, friends are going to church on Sunday, and she doesn't. I mean, I, I would completely, I think, as a child, envy her, right? Because uh, my parents were very religious, and I think it's interesting, too, because depending on where you were, yeah, between, depending on where you are, this can also be um it can function as as at once alienating but also really defining and so where i grew up it was very unusual to be catholic and so it kind of like really segregates you into these different you know factions and and tribes and i think the film really explores the uh, shall we say complexity of that? Mm. <laughs> but I, I, I also think it's it's deeply relatable as a kid at that age. You know, you don't want to be unusual. You don't want to be unlike other people. And so it's such a fascinating, but I think really um, uh, in incredibly um, precise through line to use religion in this way to sort of explore the way that Margaret is at this age where she's sort of trying to find herself and also define her values, but also find community um, that feels relatable, you know, across time. Like it's such a time, whether, whether or not religion is the way that kids do this now, that is, is such an obviously like relatable feeling, I think. Well, we'll have to leave our conversation there. Barbara emailed us, my mom owned bookstores. She not only supplied Judy Bloom books, but encouraged me to share them with my friends whose parents didn't approve. And Jenny saw the movie with her daughters this weekend. She says, I read the book when I was 11 and I adored it. I gave it to my first daughter when she was the same age and I'll do the same with my younger. We all went to see the movie and we absolutely loved every second of it. It's perfect. 
We've been speaking with Lovia Jace. She's an arts and culture critic at The Hollywood Reporter. Kelly Weston was also with us. She's a film critic and programmer. And Rachel Cowder Nailbuff. She's the author of Our Red Book, Intimate Histories of Periods, Growing, and Changing. Lovia, Kelly, Rachel, thanks for speaking with us. Remember, we are on Instagram. You can always follow us at The 1A Show. Today's producer was Jorgelina Mana Rea. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. Hey, audience. Are you there? It's me, Jen. Thanks for listening. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Stearns & Foster. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted for irresistible comfort with indulgent memory foam and ultra-conforming IntelliCoils for your most comfortable sleep. Learn more at StearnsAndFoster.com. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top 10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. On the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race and identity don't begin or end with the news cycle. That's because we know race and identity impact every person and influence every story. We're getting into all of it with new voices each week on the Code Switch podcast from NPR.